0: Welcome back, everybody. Time for another episode of Church Hurts. And welcome back to the good, the bad, and the ugly about church, religion, and spirituality today. With the dash of recovery thrown in along the way. So if you're one of us, one of the growing group that has questions about the church today maybe even become a bit jaded in your attitudes towards your own faith you've come to the right place because today's show is entitled two things i hate we're going to delve into all that more with our host a philosophy honors grad orga- ordained a presbyterian minister a man who planted three churches along the way and even taught at a prestigious university and a mega church But now, well now he's like all of us He's just an aging curmudgeon Who never ceased to ask the one question The only question maybe on most of our minds Why? Why not bring him in? Dr. John Bash, welcome sir Thank you Paul
1: I want to be careful about insulting our listeners. They're not aging curmudgeons. It's two of us in the (laughs) studio and I, I wouldn't insult our guests that way yet, but you know, Sir Michael Caine, the famed two time Academy award winning actor from England said, there are only two things I hate in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. Now, That was a good comedic line, and the Dutch are a fun and easy target, but I'm not kidding around today. I don't use the word hate lightly, and to make matters worse, those two things I hate are directly about religion and politics, the two untouchables for a proper party to be had. So let's get it over with. The first thing I hate is going to make you want to turn off the radio, roll your eyes in irritation, and wonder what in the world is wrong with me. What is it? Gnosticism. I hate Gnosticism. It's even spelled with a silent G, which is annoying. And if you don't know what it means, stay around, because I hope you'll learn to hate it, too. It is evil. From the pit of hell, won't go away, shows up in every culture and every generation, and wreaks havoc wherever it raises its nasty head. The second thing I hate came from the pen of a spoiled adult German boy running around in London after being kicked out of France, writing home to his more affluent relatives, asking them to send money to support his indulgent, rebellious lifestyle, and writing untold millions of deaths can be tracked back to this thing we know as Marxism. I hate Marxism. Our guest today knows more about the two things I hate than most people in the world. He is current. He's relevant. He's educated beyond impressive. He's controversial. He's honest. He's real. And he's also a bit of a hero to me, so I may be stuttering a bit during this interview, realizing that I can preach a sermon in one of his pauses, and we don't have that long Dr. Vodi Bachum, welcome to Church Hurts And. Well, thank you
2: very much. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate
1: it. Vodi, your personal story is just so wonderful. I could spend hours asking you about any piece (laughs) of it. But for our listeners from every walk of life who have no idea who you are, give them an elevator speech biography.
2: Who are you? Yeah, well, I'm just a kid from South Central LA, you know. I was born and raised in South Central for the most part, raised by a single teenage Buddhist mother. Never heard the gospel growing up, never encountered that until I went to university and came to faith in university uh, my first year and got married my second year and started preaching my third year and have been doing all three of those things ever since.
1: Well, really, from South Central, and we're going to end up hearing a little bit of the story. How in the world did you get from South Central to Zambia? And I mean, that's a crazy story. But, you know, two months ago, when this virus we call Corona uh, hit us, I get a call from my best friend who really doesn't ask much of me. It's probably why he's one of my best friends. He doesn't ask much, but he, (laughs) he said, look, sit down get a glass of iced tea, because I don't drink the good stuff anymore. Yeah. And he said, listen to this lecture called Ethnic Gnosticism. And, and I, I think I'm probably one of the only people in the world that would have considered that to be a compelling thing. i just like, really? Somebody <laughs> else is speaking on Gnosticism? What in the world were you talking about? Because it felt like healing bomb to my soul in the middle of the nonsense going on. You, were you convinced what you were saying is right? Because I'm, I'm
2: drinking that Kool-Aid. Tell me what you were saying. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I've been talking about it for quite a while. Uh, this, this whole idea that people of certain ethnicities, and really it's beyond ethnicity. It, it's, it's rooted in this other thing that you and I both hate, Marxism. Uh, The idea that there are oppressors and the oppressed. Marx borrowed this idea from Hegel. And the idea is that people who are oppressed have insight into the culture that oppresses them that their oppressors do not have. And so, you know, when you decide that there are oppressed groups and there is an oppressor group, that leads to the idea that there's a special knowledge that you can gain by listening to the oppressed, because they have a special knowledge that no one else has by virtue of their experience of oppression. And so that's why when we're talking about all these racial issues, um, nobody has any solutions, right? Everybody's talking about systemic and structural racism. Everybody says, you know, I don't know what the solutions are, but the only thing that we're being told to do is listen to Black people. Um, Listen to, you know, and, and not even all Black people Only black people who view themselves as oppressed, because that's when you can tap into a knowledge that no one else has access to. And that's the very definition of Gnosticism, right? People who have a special immediate access to a knowledge that others uh, don't have access to.
1: Okay, so so let's explain why we should have a little bit more insight here. Kind of sounding Gnostic myself, um, because you want to talk about Hegel and the dialectic and how Marx got that, but I want to back up and say, wait, you're a theologian by trade. You're, you know, you were educated at the top of the top, but you know that Gnosticism. Man, as Christians, there's a reason we get to talk about that, because we knew about it long before Hegel. Talk about that Christian sense and why the church said it was from the pit of hell.
2: Yeah, well, you know, there. John, the the, the Apostle John, probably writes most openly and forcefully against the Gnostics in his uh, epistles. And, you know, these, these first century Gnostics were individuals, there's, two different schools of Gnostic thought in the first century. And again, we don't want to get all into those weeds, but essentially their understanding was that they had a special knowledge and special access to knowledge, and revelation wasn't necessary. Uh, John's arguing that revelation is not only necessary, but we have the, the, the ultimate revelation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the Gnostics are arguing that, that that's that's not really necessary. And you can even redefine who Jesus is based on your special knowledge as opposed to it being based on, you know, eyewitness testimony or the actual events of history. Um, So as believers and as those who read the Bible, um, we we see this dreaded Gnosticism from, you know, way back in the first century. And if we understand church history, we understand the havoc uh, that it wreaked.
1: Okay, so I, I took you back 2,000 years. Um, let me just go to today in our personal lives and to our listeners' lives. Um, explain in your, in your terms, let me do it in my terms and then you you do it better. When I get in a group of people that's talking about something, and there are those who have talked about it before and they have the same sense that this is the right thing. And they look at me when I'm asking questions and kind of shake their head sadly and just say, he just doesn't get it. Yeah. It, it, you know, how would you describe that? Because it, it's one of the most alienating feelings in the world. And it goes on politically all the time. People with different political views look at somebody and, you know, here they're like, they just, they he likes Trump. There's something wrong with him. Or he doesn't um, see that. Biden is really the answer. Politically, they're just looking at each other like, oh, I feel sorry for you, rather than engaging in discussion.
2: Talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah, there's no need to engage in discussion if Gnosticism is your entree into truth, right? And another thing that, that people will resonate with is this idea of my truth, right? Nowadays, people talk about my truth, and I have to live my truth. Um, and it doesn't even matter if my truth contradicts somebody else's truth. Everybody just sort of backs off, right? And your truth is whatever your experience says your truth is. And the, the height of, of, of um, you know, sort of having arrived intellectually and socially and emotionally is being able to accept someone else's truth regardless of what you think or feel about it. Uh, which again, now we've gone from gnosticism to you know cognitive dissonance and <laughs> a whole bunch of other stuff. So, uh, so I, yeah. I bet I bet you think your God's better than my God. Uh, yeah, no, I think my God says He's better than your God. <laughs> it Doesn't matter what <laughs> I think, right? It matters what God says. But that's the other thing. See, we, as Christians, we're people of the book, right? We're, we're, we we are people who who combine reason and revelation, um, which is, you know, something else that, you know, people mistakenly think, people mistakenly think that Christians are these people, you know, we turn off our minds, you know, and, and, and don't use reason. Well, no, that's, that's Gnosticism, right? Uh, Christianity, we're people of the book, and we are people of reason and revelation. We believe that our reason must be informed by revelation, and, and that both of those things are necessary. Whereas the Gnostic really believes that neither of those is necessary, um, only their experience. Um, so really, it completely counter to who we are as Christians and who we are as people of the book to whom God has revealed himself.
1: So give, give me some credentials in an experiential way to people who do have those categories to tell me, you say you're from South Central. And to you, that's filled with a lot of things. And, you know, for others in America, uh, they might hear L.A. connect South Central for the riots and kind of a scary place. What happened? Did you not understand that you were oppressed? and Or did you just go for a free ride everywhere and and get into schools and
2: stuff because you were black? How did that play out? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because... I I don't remember, you know, when I was growing up. I was born in 1969. I, I I wasn't told that I was oppressed, and it's interesting because things in 1969 were a lot different than they are now. I was bust. I went to Coliseum Street School in South Central. I was bust, and I think it was about 78, 79, to an elementary school in the Pacific Palisades, and. You know, I, I remember that the tension around that, you know, there, 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 there were, uh, you know, Supreme California Supreme Court was uh, addressing this issue and the NAACP was coming in and people were at odds all, all over all this stuff. And here I was, you know, getting on a bus to ride, you know, to the other side of town to go to school where the only people who looked like me were the people who got off the bus with me. So that that, that was, that's my era. You know, that that was that was part of my experience. But yet and still, I was never told that I was oppressed. And so when I hear young people today um, who've never experienced anything like that, saying that they are oppressed, um, it just does not compute. Um, And again, things were a lot better when I was growing up than they were when my parents were coming of age. You know, so and, and my ancestors were slaves, so you know things were a lot better, you know, for my parents than they were for my great great grandparents. Um,
1: so you have credentials, so- but you know, <laughs> I, you you annoy me because you don't understand what it was like to grow up where I grew up in the affluent suburbs of Pittsburgh. And and my father was an alcoholic and my stepmother had psychological issues. It made me terrified to go home and it offends
2: me that you don't relate to my experience. You owe yeah. me something. Yeah, I do. You know, I do. I think I do. Yeah. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what it is, but I think, it, I think it's something, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's something, you know? Um, yeah. It, 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 but again, that sort of gets at, the heart of this issue right right um, everybody, everybody's got problems and so what we've done is uh, through things like um intersectionality right Kimberly Crenshaw, you know in 1989 mm-hmm. uh you know brings this 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 idea to the fore of intersectionality which means that I'm not only a you know you're not only oppressed as um a, an ethnic minority but then if you also happen to be a woman or if you also happen to be uh, disabled, if you also happen to be, you know, whatever, all these other categories. So the oppressor, by the way, just to, just to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, in America, the oppressor is the uh, white, male, of European descent, Christian, able-bodied, cisgendered, heterosexual, um, you know, and on and on and on. You can add a bunch of stuff to that. But to the degree that you are not any of those things, Then you are part of the oppressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more of those boxes that you're not able to tick, the more oppressed you are. So now people are actually, you know, engaging in, you know, one upmanship in terms of their intersectional oppression. And that, by the way, that makes my Gnosticism more powerful. And here's what
1: ticks me off about it. And here's why I love your teaching, is that fundamentally, if we get into, trying to think of the Christian word for it, if we get into a spitting match over who is more of a victim, whether it's me because of my abuse from my stepmother or from living with an alcoholic father or whatever lineup I can give, if I am focused on you having empathy for my stuff and other people being responsible for that, my experience is that is a dead-end street for my own personal development. I'm stuck. If I am just sitting here waiting for more and more empathy, I'm not going to get to where you got somehow from South Central to Oxford. I mean, the premier top of the education in the world. I don't think you got there because you felt that you were such a victim.
2: No, in fact, to be honest with you, one of the reasons I went to Oxford, it, it wasn't really that you know, I, I wanted the prestige of Oxford, but I really wanted to leave the United States and go to a school that couldn't benefit because of my minority status. Um, I, I, I don't like the fact that you know, for several decades now, universities have been operating based on quotas. And, and what that's done is that's created an assumption in people's minds. You know, whether they hear about me going to Rice as an undergraduate or whether they hear about me going to Oxford or whatever. Well, not Oxford, but any anywhere in the US, the the assumption is firstly look at my size, right? Okay, you must have been a football player, and I was. But, But then they look at the color of my skin, you know, oh, it must have been some kind of quota. And so for me, part of the motivation for doing that and for going there was the fact that I I as an American wasn't going to tick a box. Um, you know, for any kind of quota system going there. And nobody could look at that and say, oh, um, you did that because of the color of your skin. You know, it it was just a personal thing for me. But, you know, I I didn't get there, um, like you said, because of anything other than gifts that God has given me, uh, doors that he opened up, opportunities, you know, that were put in my way, and the work that, you know, by his grace, I was able to put in. Yeah,
1: I, I, um, you know why I didn't go to Oxford? Why? I, I I wouldn't even apply. You know, I was an A minus student. You were the A plus student. That's how (laughs) you got into Oxford. They would have laughed at me. And they would have laughed at me, not because I was white or anything else. I could say, you know, I can track my heritage back. Probably somebody, Uh, I could go back to a relative of John Knox in my heritage, I mean, and yeah. then say, so what? You, you know, you, you got A-minuses. This is Oxford. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it, it is, we do have to, you know, I'm assuming some things. When I say Zambia, um, you know, most of it, I'm an American. I mean, i got to get out a map. We know yeah. so little about the world in general compared to the world knowing about us. Right. Um, and but That's because we, we live in the center of the universe, man. Yeah, well, Southern California really <laughs> do, you know, uh, it, but um, what you, what you're doing and why you're doing, give us a little, because what you're doing, you're not just being the dean of theological studies at this important, important school in Zambia. Yeah. It's important because you guys have a bigger picture Um, I mean, we're going to talk about the fact you you are supported by people here who believe in what you're doing and you need resources from here, but you have a different view of education there and what you're, you're talking about possibly changing a country.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, we've been here for five years now um, and, you know, I came here for the first time in 2006 and when I, when I went back, you know, we were living in Houston, Texas at the time. That's where I spent most of my life. Um, I'm a Californian by birth, but a Texan by the grace of God. Um, and so we, 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 we yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, Texas. Paul, our producer who we'll bring in after the show, but he's going to say, oh. ah, that's how he got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't born in Texas. I just got there as quick as I could. Um, <laughs> but, but I went in 2006, my wife asked me how, you know, the trip was and I looked at her and I said, I think I want to be buried there and it it was an amazing experience for me on a number of levels um not least of which being a, a a black man from the united states knowing that you know my family came through the slave trade and you know i've had friends in my life who you know could say like you yeah i traced my heritage back to john knox and i traced my you know and we we yeah i can't do that um because <laughs> we didn't bring papers with us on the boat right but there's a, an incredible movement of god in zambia this it, it's an indigenous movement you know three decades old reformed baptist movement healthy growing and these folks are the ones who decided to start uh, african christian university a classical christian liberal arts university here in the heart of sub-saharan africa w- with an emphasis on the classics and also an emphasis on work and student labor and so i describe it to people as it's early harvard meets tuskegee institute Um, and it's amazing because we're in the midst of this country that is about the size of texas with you know less than half the population it's a constitutionally christian republic um very open um to what we're doing here and so because of the size of the country and because of the attitude of the country and because of the needs that are here and what we're providing that is incredibly unique, um, we do have an opportunity to exercise a level of influence here that is really unheard of in most parts of the world.
1: And, and, and you really are talking about changing uh, how people look at life in general. This is not just uh, uh, coming in and saying, come to Jesus and, and, uh, and walk away. You're talking about people really the way they live their value, yeah. the way government is structured. absolutely. Um, and, and, and my guess is, I mean, I, I just look at that and I see Abraham Kuyper. I mean, I see some guys really thinking this whole yeah. world and life view thing, that God's not just sovereign over a little bit of morality and a little bit of your soul. Um, who right. God is means how we do art and how we do politics.
2: Every square inch. Every, every single bit. Yeah. That's right. And, and yeah, that is just and it so is. good. It is, and it's amazing to be a part of something like that on the ground floor. You know, this this university's um, five years old. We, we were here for the the start, for the launch, and um, it's been great to put our hands to the plow and and uh, work alongside our brethren here and see this thing grow. Um, you know, Lord willing, we'll have our first graduate um, here in a in a few months. So yeah, it's it's been good. You
1: know, maybe after
2: the show we can get into
1: it, but you have a book on family that, I mean, really everybody ought to, ought to read. It's just good stuff, and, um, you know, it's interesting in light of you have a big family, and we haven't had a chance to talk about them, and we don't talk about them as a basketball team because they're a bunch of artists, and I just want to <laughs> warn you that, I have a little granddaughter who's less than a year old, and and my daughter doesn't know yet, let alone my son-in-law. But one of my fantasies is that she gets to be sent to your house because you homeschool and and you teach them, <laughs> you make your kids, you, you make them read stuff like Karl Marx
2: and yeah, and oh Hitler yeah. and Hitler. You don't oh, read yeah. Hitler. Oh, they read Mein Kampf. They read Marx. They read Hegel. They read yeah, we we yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, the one, it's those who are ignorant of history that, that are destined to repeat it. And we need to know, you know, where ideas come from. Um, we, we need to understand, um, and you know, for, I'll give you an example. There are a lot of people out there, uh, a lot of Americans, for example, who are, you know, running after Bernie Sanders and, you know, talking favorably about socialism, but they don't understand the worldview, you know? Um, they, they they don't they don't get where that comes from. They don't get what its track record is, you know, historically and worldwide. Um, and so it's really important uh, from from my perspective for those kind of things to be understood.
1: You know, when I um, heard you it accepted, and by that... the way, they
2: read Darwin, they read Darwin, and everything. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, it's amazing. We teach Darwinian evolution in our schools, but most of our teachers have never read Darwin. Well, my kids do.
1: Well, and I'm going to just make a parallel to that. When I when I asked you to come on the show and you said yes, you know, some people's response initially was, oh, well, black theologians are particularly bad um, at this social justice thing. And that was because <laughs> they, they knew enough about you to pretty much know where you're coming from. Why is it... And, and I'm sorry, um, I, I violated one of your principles. I mentioned the word social justice, and, and you agree like I do. If it was never mentioned again, the world would, would be a better place. <laughs> um, and, but why is that? The whole notion, why is it that theolo- black theologians in America, per, in my lifetime anyway, um, into that movement, all seem to have been influenced by liberation theology, and the second we mention Marxism People just like ugh, roll their eyes in a Gnostic way, like they just don't get it. They want to dismiss all this stuff. Can you just make the connection? Because it's sad when I think of black churches and liberation theology. They don't want to talk to you because you don't buy the you don't drink the Kool Aid.
2: Yeah, and and there's a there's a there's a word for it. There's a phrase for it. The idea is, I may be a black body, but I'm not a black voice, uh, and that's code for. I don't buy into critical theory, cultural Marxism, you know, um, social justice, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the only legitimate Black voices are those that look at the world through the lens of oppressor, oppressed power dynamics. And so these things come together. Uh, Black liberation theology Mm is really um, a grandchild or a child of of uh, South American liberation theology, which was a Roman Catholic manifestation of Marxism uh, in South America. Um, and so what it does is it changes the motif. It, it, it moves from the idea of God saving individual sinners from sin to God collectively saving the oppressed from their oppressors. And uh, this motif was very attractive in 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 many cultures attractive in third world countries, Uh, it was very attractive. um, Among a lot of theologians in black church circles, because of the awful history uh, in the United States. Um, and 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 very real racism and oppression and slavery and Jim Crow and you know everything else you know that 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 we have uh, in our past. So the idea of God being on the side of the oppressed um, and God delivering the oppressor um, is a very attractive motif, and it's yeah. one that runs through Black liberation theology. But it has its roots in Marxism, and then the yeah. social justice movement it has its roots in cultural Marxism, which is another stream. And now they're, the two streams are sort of meeting in the modern social, social justice movement.
1: And anybody can find your teaching on that stuff the best there is very easily um, on YouTube. I, I, I need to conclude, before I wrap us up though, would you take us a different way, since obviously you don't think the way to go is the Marxist version of liberation theology, um, you found another way. Would you take me... From you face on the ground with two police over top of you with your, you know, your brother and your uncle, I think it was. Take me what it was like being face down in, in, in uh, South Central or w- where you were to the Christ that you follow today. And I'll wrap up. <laughs> yeah, no, I,
2: you know, I, I, I have had that experience and a number of experiences. I didn't trust white people. I didn't trust the police. Um, I, I didn't like white people, didn't like the, the, the police, and did have a, an us versus them um, mentality. And it's amazing that, you know, I was able to hear the gospel. I was able to hear about my need for a savior and the fact that I'm a sinner, not that America is sinful or that the police were sinful or that white people were sinful. But that there is a God who is righteous and that I violated his righteous law. And that through the person and work of his son Jesus Christ, I had access to forgiveness. And not only access to forgiveness in Christ, but access to reconciliation with God and reconciliation with my brothers. And Mm -hmm. so God not only reconciled me to himself, but God reconciled me to my brothers. God reconciled me to horizontally to people. And so you know, I can no longer look at this sort of us versus them mentality. You know, as Paul says, from now on, we no longer consider any man according to the flesh, right? Um, and so I, I, God delivered me from that and reconciled me to my brothers. And over time, has brought me to a greater understanding of and appreciation for that. But the other thing, and it goes back to something you said earlier, is that I know that God has brought me to where I am from being fatherless to being a father, right? From, 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 from being impoverished to, to, to not living in that poverty, right? He's brought me from that place to being a husband for 31 years, the father of nine children and two grandchildren, not because some oppressor decided to stop oppressing me, but because the oppression of sin, has been lifted from me, and I have been liberated from it. And so one of the most sinister things about this whole social justice movement is that it violates this sense of agency, and it takes people away from looking to God for the, the solution to their greatest problem, which is within, to instead looking to man for solution to what they think is their greatest problem, which is without. And that's not to say that there are no problems out there. However, all of those problems need individuals to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, and the gospel is the only answer for that.
1: Mm, Modi, I I could listen to you forever. Um, You don't need to ask today um, for what you're doing. Um, I want to thank you for what you're doing in Zambia. Um, We have listeners who are going to want to be a part of that, and, you know, you can find out – about it at voteebuckham.org. It's easy to find. Um, And particularly those who could give regularly so you can count on it in the uh, months and years ahead, it'd be great. But at the same time, I want to tell you, I don't want you there. Um, I I want you (laughs) back here. And um, if I was Gnostic, I'd be able to tell you that I knew uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I could be a Christian Gnostic and I could tell you the Lord told me, but, you, you know, yes, you, you'd yes. want to get into a discussion about it. But let me just wrap up with this. You, you know, what's annoying to me is that I know there are people out there thinking, you know, Dr. Bash is just so impressed by this message because it's coming from a big black guy. And mm-hmm. since I'm in recovery and learning to be healthy, I have a response to you go fly a kite. Others will shake their head, you know, they'll shake their head at the message of Odie and they'll just say, he just doesn't get it. And I have a message for you. God may love you, but you can take your Gnosticism right back to the pit it came from. We don't need any more people in the world who get it and roll their eyes at those who don't call it woke or enlightened or whatever you want but i'm going to call it gnosticism and ask you to engage your mind and dialogue with the brain and the heart god gave you we can learn from one another in 2016 the smithsonian magazine published an article by jason Daly about research into the language of bats All that annoying noise you can imagine bats having in a cave was processed through a computer translation technology, and they discovered four distinct messages. One was arguing about food, the other their place on the couch or their sleeping cluster, the third about male bats wanting to make unwanted advances on female bats, and the fourth was about bats sleeping close to one another. Well, I'm guessing that would be adequate language for some of you after the show. We got a little too close about something a little too uncomfortable. And if that's the case, can not we at least agree agree to keep arguing like the bats do? They don't stop talking. They don't unfriend on Facebook. They don't break up families. They keep bickering. Let's wrap up with a word more uh, powerful than our opinions. In Proverbs 6, we find out that God hates things, too. Proverbs six sixteen. there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers no matter how many ways you slice it. That is worth a thought. For Church Hurts and this is John Bash. Love somebody today and enjoy God. Won't you?
0: And that brings us to the close of another edition of Church Hurts and leaving us as always, but a lot to think about. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can go visit our guest website, bodibausham.org. Hope I'm saying that right. B O D D I E B A U C H A M.org. And our host, Dr. John Bash, he's also available for conversations if you'd like to continue or argue or carry on. You can find out more what he's doing at churchhurtsand.org. Or check out Standing Stone, a nonprofit ministry committed to helping pastors in need of help. We hope you'll help yourself to some more of this engaging food for thought. We're here each and every week. Right on Orange County's only community radio station. OC Talk Radio dot net.